I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and it's that time once again for the Jack Riccardi Show. Well, good afternoon. I'm, I'm very excited today because um, we are uh, introducing something new to the show that I've wanted for a long time. Uh, and a lot of people right now are probably saying, what, talent, um, <laughs> entertainment? Uh, no, we, you know, we've, uh, you and I have uh, talked about this. More and more people now listen to the podcast and so don't get the show in real time or get it live. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to a podcast, I know you listen to them, I listen to them, they can be kind of, they can feel kind of one-sided, right? Like, well, what if I have something to say or I want to ask a question? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've added, and this is very exciting, we've added a second phone number that you can call to leave a voicemail message anytime that we can play on the air. Sweet. I'm going to do that. So, it, yeah, because, I mean, Lord knows you never get to say anything. <laughs> right. Um, so if you can't, if you can't call in during the show, if you can't, for, for, for all kinds of reasons, work, you don't have the time, it's something occurs to you later on, oh, I, I should have said this or I wanted to say that, um, or you're listening to us uh, in the podcast, uh, the phone number is 210-599-5550. So it doesn't replace the other number. You can still call in live during the show, the 5555 number, but 599-5550 is to record a voicemail, basically. So you'll, you'll say your name, your city or town, your comments, and then we may play that back during the show or the next show. Uh, and it can be about anything that we've talked about or if you're listening to the podcast. Um, and that's now available, 210-599-5550. So, and when you call it, it's, it's almost like, it's almost going to sound like voicemail. You're going to hear me. It's going to prompt you to leave the message, leave your thoughts. And again, we, we know that, uh, statistically only about one third of 1% of people that listen to talk radio ever call talk radio. So just to make it a little bit easier to open that door a little wider, maybe you're the kind of person, maybe you get a little flustered or you want to like gather your thoughts before you call in, whatever it might be. That number is there for you. 210-599. 5550. All right. So, um, we got a lot to get into here. We're going to get right, uh, right to it. Uh, there is a plan to, uh, close the border between Texas and Mexico using, uh, the law and using a new, uh, enforcement agency. Uh, the legislature is considering making it a state felony to cross the border from Mexico illegally to, in other words, add a, state crime to what is already a federal crime. And then they're also talking about creating a new uh, border or immigration police unit uh, that would um, essentially enforce the state's interests in keeping illegal immigration uh, out of uh, cities and towns and and farms and, and what have you. Uh, we're asking you about that on the JR poll. Do you favor Texas forming its own Border Police Unit. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. I, 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 it's, it's long overdue that, that the governor start, you know, enforcing the Texas Constitution, uh, and, and taking matters into his own hands. It sounds like the legislature is ready to do it. There have been a lot of squishy Republicans in the past. Uh, needless to say, Texas Democrats are up in arms over this. 
uh, this is horrible, etc. So the two pieces of it that we're going to talk about, creating a state felony and then creating this law enforcement agency, which might even include deputizing people living near the border. Uh, You know, obviously about half of all Texas households have a firearm as opposed to like 10 or 15% of northeastern states. Uh, so this would be literally don't mess with Texas. I, I will say this. I, I like all this except for one thing. When you talk about creating another agency, you know where my mind goes? It goes to Uvalde. One of the problems in Uvalde was all these agencies showed up, and then they all stood there looking at each other. And I, I am absolutely in favor of the state standing up for its sovereignty and doing what the federal government has resolutely refused to do. And, and today, by the way, claims it can't do. I don't know if you heard this or not. The Border Patrol said today they have lost operational control of the border. That came out today, but it's not exactly news. <clears throat> uh, I, I wonder if creating another agency will create confusion abuse, uh, and and other things, as we've seen before. Do we need more government, or do we just need the government to do more? And it sounds good to say we're going to form a new unit, but I'm not even sure you need a new unit. I don't know why you couldn't uh, put this under existing uh, law enforcement, like sheriff's offices, you know, sheriff's uh, departments or uh, or even DPS. So we're going to talk about that. By the way, speaking of the police, uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, is rolling out what I think is going to be a big theme for his reelection campaign next year. He is demanding that Republicans stop defunding the police. You heard me right. It's time, says the president, for Republicans to stop defunding the police. Listen to this. Cut number six. That we invest more in safer communities and expand access to mental health services for those affected by gun violence. Congressional Republicans should pass my budget instead of calling for cuts in these services or defunding the police or abolishing the FBI, as we hear from our MAGA Republican mm. friends. No, see what they did there? So people are upset at the FBI. It's corrupt. It's become politically weaponized. Oh, you're in favor of defunding the police. That's quite a stretch, but that, that'll fool a low-information voter. And that's, that's the part of the, I think that's going to be a part of the messaging. I think you're going to hear that a lot. I wanted to play that for you today because I think you will be hearing it extensively next year. By the way, the White House put out a letter that was written to the president by a little girl named Charlotte. Um, and it's about the wage gap. And um, they put out the letter on the White House Twitter account and the president's response to it. The letter reads, Dear President Biden, I just wanted to tell something not fair to ladies. Men are getting more money than girls. I think you should fix this since you're the president. Even I'm a child and I think we should do something from colon Charlotte. And he wrote back, Charlotte, I couldn't agree more. Women lose thousands of dollars each year and hundreds of thousands of dollars over a lifetime because of gender and racial wage gaps. 
Um, do you think this letter is real? It looks like uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre wrote it with her left hand, or maybe John Fetterman wrote it, or you know what I mean. It's just it's there's so much wrong with with <laughs> this letter. Um, it, it, I think it was written by a 30 year old trying to write like a child. Uh, it misspells a couple of words. It uses then instead of than. Uh, but then like from colon Charlotte, if, if you're a really little kid and you don't, um, you know, know then and then, you probably don't know colons. Also, I don't know. When I, whenever I've seen letters from kids or when I would write a little, like a letter to Santa Claus, or whatever, one thing kids always do is they don't say I'm a kid. They say I'm, I'm seven. Or I'm nine. They don't. They don't go. I'm a kid. It, it, it reminds me of that Steve Buscemi. You know, hello, hello, <laughs> hello there, youths. You know, it's like um, it just reads like a thirty-something trying to sound like a child. So, who do you think really wrote this letter? Corinne Jean Pierre, John Fetterman, Jill Biden. It's so fake. It's embarrassing. Really. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Speaking of embarrassing. So what do you think of the, uh, you've heard the story about the, the downed drone, right? There was a, uh, a U.S. drone, an MQ-9 drone over the Black Sea, international airspace, and it was harassed for about three quarters of an hour by a couple of Russian, uh, military aircraft that, uh, flew very close, uh, dumped fuel on the drone and then bumped the drone or maneuvered into the drone, disabling it, causing it to crash into the Black Sea. This happened yesterday morning. And um, the Kremlin is saying that this was a provocation by the U.S. and uh, that the U.S. is escalating its its, uh, standoff with Russia over Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. This was a a warlike act. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they, this is the story they're putting out. Um, the story we're putting out is that um, this was the statement from the uh, Air Force. Several times before the collision, the Su-27s dumped fuel on and flew in front of the MQ-9 in a reckless, environmentally unsound and unprofessional manner. Can you get more woke than that? You basically have a dogfight, and it was environmentally unsound? Environmentally unsound? The only box they didn't check was some kind of gender reference, or maybe Charlotte has a letter on this. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm embarrassed for our country that we would be involved in an incident like this. Look, I'm, I'm not a warmonger. I'm not a hawk. I don't want a war. I don't, but I mean, you're 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 taking umbrage at how it's bad for the environment. It's a thirty-two million dollar drone. You're allowing the Russians to redefine the rules of international airspace and and navigation. Um, that those are the consequences, not not the environmental part of it. I mean, who wrote this? Who who are these people? Seriously, again, I'm not saying let's have a war with Russia, and I and I'm I'm very concerned, in fact about the way that we are 
backing into that war in the way that we're doing Ukraine. I, I, I don't think this is well thought out. I've said this many times. I'm, uh, I'm not, I, I don't care if you want to call, call me names or call me a Kremlin sympathizer or whatever you're going to call me. I, I hate Putin. I hate what his regime stands for. I take a backseat to nobody on that. Uh, but we've got a very bad strategic, uh, plan here. And we are doing this piecemeal, and it looks just like every other war that we've backed into and stumbled into since World War II. But for God's sakes, at least put out a stronger statement than we're, we're concerned about the environment. <sighs> Good grief. And then another big story today is inflation. Now, again, this is a spin thing. So the, the headline is there was some good inflation news. Well, the good inflation news is that the, the increase in prices has started to slow down. It's still six years, uh, I'm sorry, 6% uh, year to year. It's still three times the average inflation for the past 30 years. It's still, inflation is still outpacing your, your wages. In other words, you're still not making more than the increase in prices. So you're still hurting when it comes to paying for food and electricity and housing and, and what have you. But they're spinning it as, uh, well, we're, we're doing a great job because things aren't as awful as they were in September. And that's the new standard. So when they suck really badly in one month and then they suck a little less badly in another month, they want to be congrat, they want a cookie. They, they want a trophy for that. It's, I guess it makes sense in the era we live in, right? I mean, we give everybody a trophy. We give everybody an A-plus. So I guess A-plus for the Biden administration on inflation. By the way, I was reading today, do you like sandwiches? They're coming for sandwiches now. This was in the Wall Street Journal. Government nutritionists have declared that sandwiches are, quote-unquote, heart bombs that make up a substantial portion of the sodium, saturated fat, and sugar in Americans' diets, and we need to discourage people from eating sandwiches, says a professor at Tufts University. Sandwiches. What could be more blue-collar, working guy, lunch-pucket American than the sandwich? I mean, how many of us, when we were bachelors, we would have died without sandwiches? I mean, leave people the hell alone. Help them afford whatever it is they want to eat. You know, you're hassling them with what they're choosing, but then you're also making it harder for them to afford anything. Let them have sandwiches. As a, a, I'm going to coin that phrase. Let them eat sandwiches. I think in 2023 you deserve a sandwich. And I don't know about you, but now sandwiches are going to taste a whole lot better knowing that the Biden administration and the federal government are targeting them. More sandwiches. Yeah, I think... Um, I think I like the idea of uh, creating a state-level crime for illegal immigration, and I like the idea of, of an enforcement agency, but I don't know if you need a separate agency. Do you think we really do? Do you think that if we create yet another statewide agency that's alongside DPS and alongside sheriff's departments and alongside local police, that that would create potentially conflicts, uh, or uh, or overlap or wastage or a Uvalde type of situation where there's so many different agencies, no one knows who's in charge in a particular situation. Um, I, I, I'm a little concerned about that. Uh, your thoughts on that, 210-599-5555. And, 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 and here's the thing that I like about what they're proposing to do in the legislature. If you If you put this in, if Texas does this, 
it forces New Mexico, Arizona, California. They, they're going to have to think about it because we'll be shifting people down the line from our stretch of the border to theirs. And this is really the only way it's going to change, um, at least any time before 2025. And I wouldn't even pin my hopes too much on 2025. Who knows what will happen in the next presidential election. But um, we know right now that the will of the people of Texas is to do something about this. We as a state are, are, are fed up. Uh, lives are being lost. Lives are being disrupted. It is beyond time for Governor Abbott and the legislature to do this. They've waited too long. So what do you think of the idea? Do you favor forming a border police unit for the state? 210-599-5555. We're also talking about sandwiches and inflation and Charlotte's letter to President Biden and the uh, Russians going kinetic with our uh, drone. This Air Force response is unbelievable. It really is. We basically um, lodged an inv- they, they forced a $32 million aircraft into the water. And we have lodged an environmental complaint. So that would be like um, if 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 FDR's response to Pearl Harbor was that uh, we you know the Japanese spilled oil into the ocean. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's what that was what we're saying here. Now again, don't get me wrong. It's not that it's not that I want to go to war. I just the way you avoid war is by projecting strength and being consistent. And then you empower and embolden your allies. They know where you stand. The United States has to set the tone. We have to. And um, we're not right now. I'm not, I, you know, President Trump was right when he called out the European powers. But he also gave them, he said, look, we're, we're going to do this, this, and this. We're going to be strong. We're going to be consistent. I'm challenging you to, to stand with us. You, you have to do both things. You have to set a tone stay with that, and then challenge them to to meet it. The Biden administration is just le- letting this whole thing drift. And um, at this point, our hopes are that European leaders will be stronger than our own, our own administration will be. That's crazy to me. Um, so we're asking you uh, today, do you, do you agree with uh, forming, uh, Texas forming uh, basically a Border Patrol unit? Uh, creating state felony uh, crimes for uh, crossing into the state illegally. Uh, these are some of the things that will be in the uh, package of bills the legislature will consider. Sounds overdue, if anything. Uh, getting your thoughts on that. And joining the show now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line uh, is the host of the Luke Macias Show podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Luke Macias TX. Uh, Luke, welcome. Good afternoon. Good to have you with us. Thank you for having me on. You um, you have to think that this is uh, the will of, of a majority of Texans. Um, how do you sort of break down in, in simple terms or the elevator pitch what it is they're trying to do with this enforcement unit and this uh, creation of a state felony? Yeah, so there's a lot of good stuff in the package of bills that has been filed in the Texas House regarding the immigration issue. This is basically legislatively moving to accomplish what a lot of conservative immigration groups have been asking Governor Abbott to do for the last couple of years, which is basically if he declares an invasion, 
what does it then look like, right? So this bill puts this framework together, establishes this force that can be used by the governor. He can declare an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, and say, we are being invaded, therefore Texas is going to start to take action. And then it says that this force will actually take people who are coming into Texas and return them to Mexico. So we're going to do what I think the people of Texas expect, because if we don't start doing this soon, we're going to go from several million people who have crossed since Joe Biden took over to several million more for the next two years, right? The status quo is just unacceptable. So the bill creates a framework. It establishes this force. It says they're going to move them. There's going to be a robust discussion on the bill specifically. I know the concern that several conservatives have are just some sections in the bill that either uh, maybe put some of the laws underneath federal immigration law. So there's some concerns over whether the bill is somewhat subject to certain federal immigration law. And then there's also concern, as it I was originally filed, I'll give you an example of things that will get talked about. But one example is that it says that this force can put someone back into Mexico, but they have to be there and watch them cross, okay? And so the concern being, well, if you catch any illegal who has recently crossed into Texas, but you didn't watch them go from Mexico to America, then maybe you can't return them back mm -hmm. under the current draft. So there's a lot of things like that that will get discussed, but the Democrats are upset for a reason. I mean, they've literally come out louder on this than anything since school choice. And they're going to try to fight this very hard. And so there's some really good things there. The Senate has, is taking under consideration bans on E-Verify or requirements of E-Verify for Texas businesses so that these illegals who are coming across aren't hired. Um, and then the Texas House is also considering a ban on in-state tuition, some of these magnets, these taxpayer-funded magnets and discounts mm -hmm. that we're giving to illegals after they come in. It would seem to me that if, if all or some of this uh, becomes – the law becomes real, that it would also force other border states because th they would now have to consider doing the same things or else they would simply get all the people that are currently trying to use the Texas part of the border. That's right. And, and, and that's the importance of having this bill be as strong as possible is to make sure that it has that effect, right? That people literally say, I can't go to the Texas border. I'm going to have to go through Arizona. I'm going to have to go through California. And remember, these people are being trafficked by cartels. There are, no, there are no individuals from South America that just make the trek and journey to the southern border. These people are being trafficked. So when we make it harder to get in, the cartels are the ones that are literally steering all of these people. Um, and so I think that, that you're absolutely right that that will have the effect. And we know it will go to the Supreme Court. This will immediately go into federal court and will immediately have a battle about whether or not Texas has the ability to preserve and protect its own border when the federal government's leaving it wide open. Talking with Luke Macias right now on KTSA. What about the um, this enforcement unit? This would be under DPS or a separate uh, branch? Uh, is there concern about... Um, you know, having too many uh, chefs in the kitchen or having a maybe having a situation like in Uvalde where you had so many agencies on site all trying to do the same thing, all trying to do the right thing, that they wound up kind of stalemating each other. One of the reasons that they are creating the separate force, which I think is, is probably a good thing, is that there are a lot of DPS officers that are part of Operation Lone Star right now who honestly, they live somewhere else in the state. And they were, before this, 
protecting a different community. And so you have small rural counties in Texas who are saying we have half the DPS force that we normally had until the, the invasion started. And so we have them all down there. But here's the truth. None of them are stopping anyone. So it doesn't matter how many DPS troopers we send down there. They issue more traffic tickets than they do arrest illegals. And when they do arrest an illegal, they literally just take them to the federal government and help process them into our country sooner. So these illegals are actually able to process sooner and get temporary legal status sooner than they otherwise would under the current regime of Operation Lone Star. So one of the benefits will be that I think the goal would be for DPS to actually withdraw more forces from the border, send these people back to the communities doing what they do best, and then actually have the people on the border specifically with a mission, right? These DPS officers are patriots, but their mission is not to secure our border. Their mission mm -hmm. is not to stop anyone from coming in. And this new force would have that specifically as a job. Yeah. Um, what lit the fire under the legislature? Because I, I got to be honest, the, the, all of this, you know this, I mean, all of this has been yep. talked about, proposed. They, they didn't have to come up with any of this themselves. They've been told for years to do it. So what makes this yep. session different? Well, I'll give you one perspective that maybe isn't, uh, isn't held by every single person, but I think the Texas House particularly is looking for an issue that they can try to get to the right of the Texas Senate on. Most of your listeners who know, understand Texas politics a little bit more will know that the Texas Senate is usually always more conservative than the Texas House. And on the issues of the transgender issues, on education reform, on various different things when it comes to you know, rooting out DEI out of our universities, the Senate is moving much quicker and more aggressive and their bills are stronger than the House. And so it looks to me that the Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, who really is seen as more of a moderate in the state, tried to find an issue that he felt like he could go to the right of Dan Patrick on. And so they have come out with this slew of bills, but HB 20 is the big one with the most teeth right now. And so that's my interpretation. So I actually yeah. believe the Texas House is saying, hey, we're looking for an issue that we can get to the right of the Texas Senate on since they're always you know, out, outshining us on most issues. And it'll be interesting to see how that transpires as we go through the next, really, 60 days that each chamber can pass their own bills. Very good stuff. Uh, the podcast is The Luke Macias Show. On Twitter, it's at Luke Macias TX. Uh, Luke, hope you'll come back, and I appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. Anytime, Jack. Thank you so much for having me on. So um, I'll never really understand this about not only Joe Biden, but about the Democrats in general. They they can't just say they support something now or this is their position now. They always have to exaggerate it out to, we've always believed. I've always thought. So he did an interview, the president did, with an actor pretending to be a reporter on The Daily Show. And this, uh, this guy, Kai Penn, is, is openly gay and was talking to President Biden about his partner and how he wants to get married. And, um, and Joe Biden tells this whopper of a lie that he has actually supported gay marriage his whole life. That he had an epiphany over 60 years ago and has been a, a, a strong, total believer in gay marriage ever since. So this is, this is some of what he was saying, cut number two. 
What's going on in Florida is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. I mean, what, 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 what are they thinking about here? They're human beings. They love, they have feelings, they have inclinations that are, I mean, it, it just to me is, I don't know, it, it's cruel. And the way we do it is we make sure we pass legislation like we passed on same-sex marriage. You mess with that, you're breaking the law, and you're going to be held accountable. Thank you, sir. Uh, I also can tell that, like, some auntie or my mom probably texted you beforehand if, no, no, if no. you're trying to pressure me to. No, no, but get moving, man. <laughs> I don't want to I hear will. you. can't do it. He, he says, the, the piece I want to play, I don't know if we have it done, he, he says that um, he was a senior in high school. So this would be about 1959 for Joe Biden. And his dad is dropping him off at the school, and he says, I remember I was about to get out of the car, and I see these two well-dressed men in suits kiss each other. I mean, they gave each other a kiss. One looked like he was heading to one building, and one headed to the other building. He says, and I'll never forget, I turned and looked at my dad, and he said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. It's simple. They love each other. I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. You know, first of all, almost any time he says Joey, he's lying. By the way, in the other clip where he says, as my grandmother used to say, these aren't expressions your grandmother coined. She, she's not the first one to say something was close to sinful. But we know from history that it was not a common or widely held viewpoint in 1959 or in the 1940s, or 50s, or 60s. It wasn't even most Democrats. We know this is not true. And if it was true, and if Joe Biden's family was were outliers, if they were unusually broad-minded about same-sex relationships or marriage, then why did Joe Biden vote against them consistently well into the 2000s? If he had an epiphany when he was a high school senior, why did he vote for the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996? Why did he run against same-sex marriage in 2008? There were 14 Democrats who opposed the Defense of Marriage Act, including big-time Democrats like Kennedy and Kerry and Feinstein, but he wasn't one of them. So if this was his moral conviction, if, if, if Joey Biden had an epiphany in 1959, then he's been in denial about it for the, for the next 60 years afterwards. And the idea that he was thinking about gay marriage in 1959 or 1960 is just silly. Why can't he just say, I, I used to be against it and now I'm for it, or I, I changed my mind, or if he was being super honest, my party changed its mind, and I needed to keep up with my party, because that's really what happened. We know he's a storyteller, and we know he's a fabulist, and I don't expect that will ever change, but why do we have to pretend, why do the people interviewing him pretend they believe him? And Kai Penn sits there. I know he's gay, 
And I know he's in awe that he's with the president, and he's telling about his aunties and his boyfriend won't marry him. And who takes this stuff seriously? You know, I know all politicians lie. And whenever we talk about Biden, I'm reminded, well, this one lied and that one lied. I agree with you. Okay. I, I, I sit here and I get lied to by politicians for a living. But I mean, this guy's special. And not just the lies. What infuriates me is the insistence that Joe Biden is some sort of great man and great leader. And when they talk to historians who put him in the same category, well, is he, is he like LBJ? Is he, is he like FDR? He's like neither one. This is a guy that caresses and sniffs little girls, wanders around aimlessly on stage, forgets where he is and who he is. And, and no, he has not been for gay marriage for the last 60 years. Because if he had been, he'd have been a thorn in the side of his own party. He'd have been a pioneer. Believe me, we would know all about it because it would be an extraordinary thing. So why not just say, I'm asking because I really wonder about this, why not just say, well, this is where I am now. I'm totally with you, Kai. I'm on your side. I'm on, I'm team Kai. But see, he always has to go and say, well, you know, back in the corn pop days and back when I was the lifeguard and 50, 60, 70 years ago, oh, I was for it then too. It's like when he talks about being arrested with Nelson Mandela or being arrested on the floor of the Senate when he was 21. I mean, why? These aren't helping. He is the president. He's gone as far as you can go. They're not helping him. And again, I'm not even asking why is he doing it. I'm asking why are supposed journalists sitting there like this is okay? It's insulting. Do your job. Act like a journalist if you're not actually a journalist. You know, come on, Kai Penn, you're an actor. Show me your acting skills. Pretend you're a journalist. So I feel like right now in the NFL, this is like closing time at the singles bar, right? Where, <laughs> yeah. like, like when I saw that that Tampa had picked up uh, Baker Mayfield, I thought, oh, boy, that's that's a, like, yeah. you know, do I want to go home alone or do I want to, you know. Try to talk to the ugly chick at the end of the bar because that's just yeah, a, it is. talk about a downgrade. I'm sorry, and I'm not a, I'm not a hater, but mm-hmm. that's nothing to get excited about no. in Tampa. No, um, th- but there's some you know obviously the the thing with Aaron Rodgers continues, and mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. There. He he said on the Pat McAfee show that it's not him. He's not holding it up. He's he's ready to join the Jets, but that the Packers are trying to get more compensation from the Jets. Yeah, that's my understanding. And if you're the Packers, then you don't I mean, why you want Rodgers gone. You know he yeah. wants to go. Now yeah. he's got a landing spot. If you're the if you're the Packers, why not sit back and see how sweet the pot can get? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're the yeah. Jets, you have to do this. Yeah, you know, I you think can, that with You cannot um, step yeah. up to this line and then go, "Oh, we weren't able to work it out." You know, Dennis Foley here in the KTSA newsroom, he's a Jets fan, and he has not been in favor of this, but I told him, it's like, look, until you get a franchise guy, what yeah. if you could squeak out, do what hasn't been done since Namath next year? Yes. Just yeah. what if? And Rodgers? Well, and I, I think there's a very good, I think there's a very good chance if he, if he goes and if he gets some of these pieces he wants, mm-hmm. they've already got Lazard. Uh, 
as far as I'm concerned, they're building it for to win right now. Like this yeah. is for next year. This isn't long term. No, and I don't. I don't know that it's a bridge to to you know kind of you know bridge the gap between uh what's the way to put it i i don't think that they're bringing in rogers in to buy time for no no a franchise quarterback because i don't think they have one no i mean mike white's gone so, he's in miami he's gone so, and then the other uh, kid from byu i don't know if that's gonna no he's not ever. that's not gonna happen so, um you know the, the thing the thing i would just say about the aaron Rodgers deal is i, I hope aaron Rodgers understands that this is not like being in green bay no. These New York fans are different. So in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers could could kind of you know he could be the general manager, he could be the head coach, and he could yeah. tell the fans to R E L A X and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. New York fans, if if they're going to part with all this future consideration stuff, they're going to want to win next year. You can't tell them to relax. You got to win. And do you get the feeling that with Rodgers? you know, having yeah, I think he was at Cal in college, just a little bit of entitlement. And if you take that to New York, that could backfire. Oh, they won't. Yeah, they won't have that it. That could really, really it. backfire. So, um, you know, age. That's, that's, that's a city in a hurry, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, it, yes, it is. But what, how do you, what do you make of the uh, Ezekiel Elliott story? Uh, it's, it's definitely time. It was definitely, I, yeah, I was, I had debates three years ago with, you know, friends here and there, and I was never in favor of the Cowboys uh, extending him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, between his off the field behavior, which hasn't been a problem, and, and you know, since he did the the new contract, I think it was 2019. But those first two or three years, it was kind of eh, I don't know. Guy's really good, but is he going to end up in jail? But then by the time they did the 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 extension, his productivity just looked like it was waning. And yeah. under the Dallas offensive line, you had unexpected changes going on there, and I don't see Zeke getting any better. Yeah, now they uh, they they do have a and, and this I guess this frees up some cap space, right? So. Yeah, he'll be a post June first cut. I'm I don't have the numbers in front of me, but somewhere around eight to eight and a half million. Yeah. If you're going to tell me, would you rather have Stefan Gilmore? Yeah, in the secondary yeah. or Zeke running three point well, four like, yards? You know how much care. I mean. You know he's a Patriot. I love Gilmore. I don't know if that makes a huge difference because their defense was already very, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Defense was not really the problem with that team, but no. but still, I love I love seeing him in a cowboy uniform. So it is cool. He's the right kind of guy for that position with Dan Quinn yeah. too. So yeah, no, very exciting thing. All right, I, I want to play this for you. This this is what I don't get. Um, I, w- why not just say I now support it? I'm 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 evolved. I'm with it. I'm I'm very 2023. Listen to this. This fable that President Biden tells Kai Penn on The Daily Show. Take a listen to this. I can remember exactly where my uh, epiphany was. Okay. I hadn't thought much about it, to tell you uh-huh. the truth. And I was, a, I was a senior in high school. And my dad was dropping me off. And I remember about to get out of the car and I looked to my right. And two well-dressed men in suits kissed each other. I mean, they gave each other a kiss. And then one went, looked like he was heading to the DuPont building, and one looked like he headed to the Hercules Corporation building. And I'll never forget, I turned and looked at my dad. He said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. It's simple. No, I'm not joking. It's simple. They love each other. <laughs> There's no way. There is no way. I don't believe that. I don't believe Charlotte's letter. Now, tell me I'm wrong. Tell, tell me I'm being a cynic. Tell me I'm being a partisan. Tell me I'm being mean. 1959 are you kidding me are you kidding me and and again if you believe him 
Then you have another problem. Why did he vote the other way for the lion's share of his Senate, L-I-O-N, not L-Y-I-N, for the lion's share of his Senate career? Every chance he got, he voted against gay marriage. He voted in favor of traditional marriage. He said he was for traditional marriage. He cited his Catholicism. He cited his own marriages. He was was steadfast on this. I mean, there was a time, if you're young, you'll find this hard to believe. There was a time when Joe Biden was seen as kind of a right-of-center Democrat because he was pro-life, he was pro-traditional marriage, he was pro-religious liberty, he invoked his Catholicism, he cited his own uh, family uh, background and tragedy of losing his first uh, wife in a car crash right after he, he was elected to the Senate. And I mean, I just, you, you know, even if you weren't alive in the 1950s, you know where the country was in the 1950s. You know how absolutely ridiculous and unbelievable that story is. I mean, that, that makes corn pop sound believable. That makes the, you know, the, the, that makes the stuff he told during the campaign sound believable. And so why do you do it? Why can't you just say, I'm now for Gay marriage, I'm, I'm, I'm in your corner. You know, that's it. They always have to take it to, well, I've always been. Uh, it's never enough to just say now. It's got to be, oh, for 65 years, I've been right. And in case you missed the announcement, we have a new feature on the show. We have a second phone line. So we have this, we have the number that you call to call into the show. That stays the same. 599-5555. But now we have a number you can call if you're listening uh, to the podcast, meaning it's not live and you want to react to the, comment, the, the conversation that's going on, but it's not live. Or let's say you work during the show and you're not able to sit on hold and, and wait to get on. Or you're just maybe a little leery about making that call live. We have a number you can call and leave a voicemail, and we'll play it back, 210 210- Five nine nine fifty five fifty. You just leave your first name, the city or town you're calling from, and your comment, and we'll play it back uh, on the air either on that show or on the next day's show. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty to leave a voice message comment on the Jack Riccardi show. So we'll do some of that coming up here, and uh, yeah, we're talking about the this this new. You know, Biden's fable that he's been uh, a big gay marriage proponent since 1959. Jim is on KTSA. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jack. How you doing? I think you uh, just about nailed it. He has spent the lion's share of his political career sharing his lion lies and lying and lying more about it. He just lies constantly. So... The, uh, is it believable to is, you? Is it believable to you no, that an Irish Catholic no. father says that to his son in the car in 1959 in the Eisenhower era? Really? Yeah, no, it's not, Come and on. it's not conceivable. No, it's not even conceivable. And you know what? You know what sucks about men. that story too. Not only is he lying, but he's using his dead relatives as props. I don't believe his yes. grandmother or his father or any of these people said any of this stuff, and they're not around right. to check with. How pathetic is that? It's absolutely pathetic. And, and there's not a chance that there were two men of business who stand on the street kissing in 1959. Well, that, I mean, even if that part, even if that part happened, yeah, yeah. you, you could right. be damn well sure that's not what Daddy Biden said to his son in the car outside the yep. high school. But, Jim, I appreciate the call. Thank you. 210 599 
888-528-5555. Obviously, we've been continuing to talk about it. We've been talking about it for days, uh, the SVB story and what's going on uh, with that. Um, and we're joined now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line by Mark Tepper, who's the CEO of Strategic Wealth Partners. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Tepper SWP for Strategic Wealth Partners. Um, one of the things, hey, and, and, and Mark Tepper, thank you for coming on with us, and good afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon. Glad to be I, here. I wanted to ask you some kind of basic stuff, if you'll bear with me, because uh, I think there's sure. a lot of people who are trying to get their bearings on this uh, story. I, I feel like we're conflating the FDIC insurance for depositors with some kind of protection for investors. Like, the, like that's the same thing. Yeah, so the FDIC insurance for, for depositors is different from the SIPC protection for investors. If, if mm-hmm. uh, an investment institution were to, to go insolvent, um, but, you know, the, the whole thing about this FDIC insurance in this entire, you know, banking meltdown crisis that we're experiencing right now is, you know, the, the $250,000 FDIC insurance limit. The, the issue with, uh, with SVB in particular is, you know, there were a lot of, you know, venture capital funded tech startups who were completely profitless who, you know, may have had, I don't know, $5 million, $10 million of working capital in their checking accounts where everything above that $250,000 was completely exposed and not insured. So now you have the government stepping in to do a bailout, even though President Biden refuses to call it a bailout. It is a bailout. That's exactly what they're doing. Right. If if we keep bailing out banks, how do we ever stop banks from doing the things we don't want them to do (laughs) the million dollar question jack um look capitalism is a beautiful thing and it works incredibly well when we have winners and losers when when people are rewarded based on merit and you're punished for doing stupid things but as a society we are now a participation trophy driven society where winners are ridiculed and it's 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 great to be a loser. So uh, look, we cannot continue to reward individuals or corporations for bad behavior. That is the exact opposite of what you what you want to do when you want to encourage prudent risk taking, which grows businesses and grows our economy. So you know this whole bailout thing in particular, it irks me because I know that at the end of the day. You, me, and everybody listening right now, we are going to be the ones that pay to bail out SVB. And here's how we're going to pay, right? And you may not see it this way. You may not, it may not be visible, but we are going to pay. We are going to pay because that CD that we wanted that should be paying us 4% is now going to pay us 3.5%. Now, we don't know that they reduced it by a half a percent, but that's how the banks are going to get reimbursed right. for this. Okay. Right. When we take out a car loan at at seven and a half percent, that should have been seven percent. So we, all of us, we are going to be the ones who pay for this for all of these bank bailouts, despite what President Biden's trying to tell us right now. 
I noticed, and I talked about this on the show yesterday, I noticed that right away, I mean within hours of the news breaking, the, the talking point from people like Elizabeth Warren was that this happened because of deregulation. So no matter what the disaster is, it was always there wasn't enough government. Uh, there was, and, and they seized on that, um, amending of Dodd Frank, uh, in, in 2018, even though that was a bipartisan, uh, thing. Um, and, and we know why that's their spin. We understand that, that, that they want more government. They want to be in our lives in, in yeah. more ways. But was this in fact a, a, a fault of or a feature of deregulation? What happened at SVB? With SVB, this is a case of, of a bunch of bad actors at SVB. And what happened here, uh, specifically, you know, we can talk about whether this was regulation oriented or whether this was due to incompetence, but what this really all boils down to is this is greed and moral hazard on the part of SVB. And if you look at, you know, them holding all of these held to maturity bonds where there were, you know, drastic unrealized losses, which eventually completely wiped them out, there is a way for every single bank that's out there to hedge that risk. What a bank does is a bank buys what's technically insurance. They're called interest rate swaps. And in December of 2021, SVB had $10 billion of insurance, of interest rate swaps on their balance sheet. Come December 31st of 2022, one year later, they had essentially no insurance anymore, no mm. interest rate swap. So they were completely competent. They knew what they were doing. They knew in 2021 that they could carry insurance mm-hmm. to protect them from these interest rate risks. But they knowingly and voluntarily decided in 2022 that they would rather be greedy, make more money. No, nobody wants to pay for insurance. I don't like paying for it. You don't like paying for it. Nobody likes paying right. for it, but we do. Right. We do because we have to, right? Well, also, and, this and was a bunch of lefties. I mean, when you look at who they were giving money to, <laughs> these are all yeah. big-time lefties. So I'm sorry, but if if they are such big believers in government and regulation, uh, then the, and, and if you're telling me that a deregulated atmosphere led to this, they could have still done the right thing. They could have done what Elizabeth Warren thinks banks should do. They gave her money. Why didn't they do what she thinks they should do? It, they can't have it both ways. Yeah, well, when your risk management team is um, is trying to figure out how to funnel $70 million to, to organizations like BLM and, and other far-left organizations, rather than you know, really paying attention to, to the young company uh, and, and making sure that, that they're hedging interest rate risk, there's obviously uh, some serious issues there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if this company, see, and that's the problem. That's the problem when you look at these, these woke companies, these, these organizations that lean far left, is there's a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah, I mean, they, they will pretend that they're into more regulation, less regulation, whatever it may be, and they're always doing the exact opposite of whatever they're saying. You know, and all, all it takes is, is a disaster like this for us to uncover the truth. Now, I've heard people say, Mark Tepper, I've heard people say that SVB was a, was a unique entity, that it's not like any other bank. Um, and, and, and on the other hand, we're all kind of now wondering about the banks with whom we do business, wherever they may be, whatever they may be. How does a bank get a clean bill of health from its regulators? How does it get named by Forbes, one of the best banks of 2022? 
and, and then five seconds later, this happens. Does this mean there are a lot of apparently healthy-looking banks that maybe have this same issue? <laughs> All right. So it, my, my first question is, you know, what, what was the criteria for them to be named the best bank? Maybe it was pursuing woke causes, you know, giving uh, six months of paternity leave to new fathers. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but that's how a lot of these awards are given out anymore. Mm. Um, you know, so, so that's obviously a, a, a huge problem. Um, what, what, was, what was your question again? I, I, I guess my question is, um, did, are they a unique uh you know, business oh, yeah. model that, that, that means we should not, like I've heard people like Vivek Ramaswamy say, they're not like the bank you bank with in your community. This isn't going to be the same. Is that, is that a fair thing yeah. to say? Yeah. So look, I mean, uh, w when you look at sticky deposits, so, and, and one of the reasons that SVB went belly up is because there was a run on the bank. Everyone went and they, they took their money out, um, which caused them to have to liquidate at, at you know, di distress prices. So, when you look at sticky deposits, sticky deposits would be from people like me, you, and everyone listening right now, up to the $250,000 FDIC limit, okay? Those are sticky. Those don't jump around from place to place. What is not sticky, what is easy to move, what is a high-risk deposit is anything that a business holds or anything that we as individuals hold in the bank account above that $250,000 FDIC limit. So mm -hmm. when you look at SVB's balance sheet, only they only had 2.7% sticky deposits of all mm. their assets, 2.7%. Bank of America is at 45%. Mm -hmm. So there are some pretty substantial differences uh, on, in their balance sheet, lots of customer and revenue concentration. SVB had a lot of issues. Um, look, I, my home base is Cleveland, Ohio. When, when I look at the, the local banks there, Huntington, Key, PNC, um, when they work with businesses, they are loaning money to, you know, nuts and bolts manufacturing companies, right? Companies that are, that are making money, that are cash flow positive. Mm -hmm. SVB was working with venture capital firms mm -hmm. and, and these startup companies that were making no money. They were completely profitless. So, um, look, is it, a rare case, yeah. Are they the only bank that, that's structured like this? Probably not. There's probably a mm. few other. But, you know, for those of us uh, in the rest of the, you know, country, I would assume that our banks are going to be okay. I do not think this is a highly contagious issue. Yeah. Great information. Uh, Mark Tepper, I hope we can uh, call on you again. Uh, learned a lot from this conversation. Strategic Wealth Partners. Follow them on Twitter at Mark Tepper SWP. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jack. Take care. So we got the uh, the voicemail line up and running today. If you want to leave a voicemail comment about the show, about any of our topics, you can call this number anytime, all right? Anytime, day or night. So even if you're listening to like the podcast hours after the show, days after the show, you want to get in on it, uh, just call this number 210-599-5550. First name, city or town, your comment. We can play it back on the air. All right, that's our voicemail line. Do a little jack chat, 210-599-5550. So you probably heard me say I grew up in New England, spent the first half of my life up there, went to college up there. Um, there was a term in New England, Wellesley girl. 
Wellesley is a suburb, a wealthy suburb of Massachusetts, of, uh, of Boston, but it's also Wellesley College. And Wellesley girls were, you know, if you will, they were, they were a type. They were the students that went to this prestigious, exclusive women's college. And they, I don't know how long they've been around. They've, they've been around forever. Hillary Clinton went to Wellesley. I think Madeleine Albright went to Wellesley. They've got a long list of famous alums. And um, they, of course, being very progressive, they some time ago began admitting trans women. But now they're voting to accept non-binary and trans men applicants as well. And let me explain why I'm bringing this up, because you might say, well, what do you care what they do? I mean, you live down here now, and you didn't go there, and you're not going there. Um, when I was reading about this, and, and you know, obviously it's controversial, and the, the usual suspects are on each side. The activists are out. Um, I started thinking about, and I wanted to ask you about this, is there still value? Do we still value the idea of something being all woman or, or just for women? Cause look, look what's happening with sports at all levels. K through 12, college, pro, wrestling, all of the sports, um, Olympics. Look, look what's happening at, at, to every facet and institution of society that at one time had a carve-out for women. And one way to look at this is, well, Jack, that was when women were, you know, the weaker sex or not welcome everywhere or perceived as, as um, in, you know, inferior or whatever. And, and so you had to have separate colleges. You had to have separate this, separate that. But now, But now it's the modern era. We don't need that anymore. I'm questioning that. In fact, I, I not only question it, I think the answer to that is BS, bull. Okay. I, I actually think there is value. Don't get me wrong. If you're raising, I'm, I'm raising a daughter. I mean, I, I want her to be in the world and I know that she will compete with, work with, work alongside men. But I think there's value at certain times in your life to have a place that is all women, just as I think there's value in, in boys' schools, whether they're prep academies or, or uh, men's universities or uh, all men's sports or w- whatever the case may be. This is not an argument for permanently segregating the, the sexes. But aren't there places and times where there is still value I mean, if if you're going to tell me that Wellesley College has produced these great leaders, air quotes, like Hillary Clinton and Madeleine Albright, then isn't the all-woman quality or aspect part of that? And there was a time when women would who, who had come out of these colleges and universities, of which there are many around the country, they would say, 
in their biographies or in interviews, you know, that was really a formative time for me, or that was where I became confident, or that was where I I found myself, or, or what have you. And now we treat that like it's an anachronism. Now we treat that like, oh, God, a college with just women. That's ridiculous. And if, if an institution like Wellesley can't recognize what a woman is, then who can? I mean, this is literally their business model for decades and decades. I don't know how long they've been around. Probably been around a couple of hundred years, I would guess. Why would you just throw that away now? And it's one of the interesting things about the modern left to me that they will seize upon an idea, and they don't actually come out and say this, but but the implication is always that up until they came along, we were all idiots. We were all ignoramuses. We were all dunces and dumb coughs, right? Like every preceding generation was just a bunch of fools and inbred morons. But all of a sudden now, we have enlightenment and we have vision, and we're, we're, we're smarter and better and more moral. And do, do they think that all of their forebearers were wrong? Do they think that all of the professors and administrators and faculty and, and um, donors and, and financial supporters and those who endowed Wellesley, do, do they think all of them were just wrong? Just couldn't see the light, and now they see the light? It's like history has just begun for them. There's no history. History began with them. Enlightenment began with them. Wisdom began with them. So I'm just curious how you feel about it. I mean, is there, in 2023, is there value in single-sex education? Is there value in spending a few of your formative years with all women or with all boys or do we need to just throw that away? Like that's just, you know, so dusty and musty and old and broken. Wellesley College in Wellesley, Massachusetts accepts students who live and consistently identify as women, which is already pretty weak sauce. But what they're voting on is to accept um, pretty much anyone, okay? Uh, so then what is a women's college? And do we need them? Is there any value to them? Or is it good that we're getting rid of them and moving away from that? 210-599-5555. Esteban is on KTSA. Esteban, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I think there's the need for some single-sex service organizations, educational institutions, uh, I lived in an all-guys dorm for three of my four years at Shriner. My mom was a active, if not founding, member of La Morjet Tahana. And, you know, uh, it was good for me to be around guys uh, at Shriner. There was some certain charm that from Delaney Hall that came from it being an all-guys dorm. Mm-hmm. My mom and her association, she had her network of friends. They right. had their organization. And it benefited her. You know, I think the reason people are apt to throw this stuff away is because we've basically brainwashed people to believe that there is no difference between men and women or anything that would constitute a difference is some sort of 
inequity. But in fact, there are really rich, um, meaningful differences between the sexes. They complement each other. They're not the same. Um, it's, it's, it's denial of reality to say that they're the same. But I feel like that's what this is really ultimately about. Um, and Esteban, thanks for the call. And, I, and by the way, um, I'm sure with all male dorm that he's talking about or an all men's academy or school, then you're going to have people say, oh, toxic masculinity. But here's a newsflash for you, okay? Yes, you put a bunch of boys together and they may get some bad ideas. They may get up to some uh, behaviors Simply introducing women into the equation doesn't somehow make that better. So just, just bringing some women into the midst of boys doesn't somehow make the whole situation virtuous. Well, who, who thinks that? And vice versa. So at Wellesley, if they really wanted diversity at Wellesley, they would enable more students of varying economic backgrounds to go to Wellesley. Let some, let some young women from poor places come to Wellesley. And, and let some conservatives come to Wellesley. And not only let them come, but let them be heard. Let them speak. Let them form a, a, a Trump club if they want or whatever it is. And, and then, and then tell me, uh, what a rich and diverse uh, school or campus you have. But this, this sort of men in dresses thing, this is just of the moment. And again, this is the, there really is no difference. And, you know, gender does, what, what, what we're really saying when we talk about transgender is we're saying gender itself doesn't matter. That you can put on a gender like you can wear a blue sweater today and a green sweater tomorrow. And that flies in the face of, of all of human history, of all of human experience, not to mention just on a very basic level, when you're young, you might form some really close and intense friendships. You might find some camaraderie. You might need a respite, you know, from a world that sexifies children from a very young age. Is that the right word? I don't know if that's the right word. But you know what I'm saying, right? We objectify and sexify children at a very young age. Maybe, maybe being in a place where you don't have to worry about the opposite sex is a respite. Maybe you can concentrate on building yourself, finding yourself, discovering who you're going to be, doing your academics. I mean, it's not for everybody. Okay. I never went to a place like that. I was never in a setting that was all boys, but that's okay. I mean, I think it should exist. I'm not saying I was deprived, but I think it should exist. What do you think? How do you feel about that? 210-599-5555. And, of course, every time one of these institutions tumbles, now there's greater pressure on the remaining schools, whether they're private high schools, whether they're colleges, what have you. The remaining single-sex institutions now have a harder time you know, keeping that up or, or, or maintaining that. A tradition and the thinking these days is if you're still doing that if you're still single sex your days are numbered i mean get with it what do you churn your own butter or two uh do you favor texas forming its own border police enforcement unit 
uh, immigration and border enforcement, in other words, uh, like a DPS for immigration. Uh, yes or no on that. That's part of what's in front of the legislature uh, to deal with uh, the illegal immigration crisis. Today, in testimony before the U.S. Congress, the head of the U.S. Border Patrol was asked bluntly uh, by the chairman of the committee, does the Border Patrol have operational control of the U.S.-Mexico border? And he said no. Flat out no. not They're not in control of it. So I don't know what clearer invitation a governor, a state legislature along the border would need than that. I mean, you know, you're you're the next man up, Governor Abbott, Texas legislature. You're the next man up. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We're going to talk about that. We're talking about all girls schools. Do they still matter? Is it, is there still value in a university or a preparatory school or a private college, a private uh, girls or boys school? Do these all need to be integrated? Do they need to open their doors to trans students? Or are these places that, although they may be traditional, and even some would say old-fashioned, do they still have value for the students who attend them? I think they do. And I, I say that not, I'm being honest, I never went to one. But I knew people who did. I've heard people talk about the experience. It sounds to me like it had value for them. And it sounds to me like, especially in the current culture that is so sexualized and where young people are under so much pressure. I mean, look, you don't have to take my word for it. There's all kinds of research, literature, testimony to the effect that young people today, because of social media, are under incredible amounts of, of pressure to look a certain way, to be sexually available or sexually sophisticated or whatever the case is. It seems like a, like a single-sex academy would be a, a, a port in the storm for students. And again, it's not for everybody. But should it exist? Should there still be such a thing? I think there should. 210-599-5555. Do you know who Andrew Bogut is? Andrew Bogut played in the NBA for a while. And um, he has come out with um, some strong opinion. Let me back up. Um, he's playing in and living in Australia. And he recently expressed an opinion uh, about a women's league, a women's basketball organization, allowing transgender girls to play, uh, in other words, a biological male who identifies as a woman, to play on the women's in the women's league, on the women's team. And Andrew Bogut says, are you okay with, with sacrificing the sanctity of female sport in the name of inclusion? Hashtag girl dads, where are you? Girl dads. Now, where are the girl dads? Now, a while back, I asked the question, where are the moms? Where, where are the, where are the moms of, of girls? But it's, it's equally applicable here. I mean, whether you're a mom or a dad, 
whether you're the parent that drove to all the early practices or drove across the state to the tournament or put in all the time, or maybe you helped your student train for the sport of their choosing. You know, this has nothing to do with hating transgender people. It's just a way of saying we have something we want to preserve. There's value in women's sports. There's equal and fair play for every girl. It's fair that girls compete with other girls. It's not fair that they compete with boys pretending to be or looking like or acting like girls. And it's wrong to make young women bear the brunt of society's fads and virtue signaling. You know, there's some adults that are getting off on fighting for this inclusion, but they don't care what happens to the girls. Two ten. So where are the girl dads? 210-599-5555. We've been talking about that. Um, and your votes in the JR poll about Texas forming its own immigration enforcement unit. And Paul is on KTSA. Paul, good afternoon. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Jack. It's good to hear from you again. So what do you think of it? something to chime in on this. Uh, well, yeah. I think, honestly, we should. Uh, Texas has been good about taking care of its own. We have a history of that. And we're not getting any real help from our federal government at all in many issues, not just the border. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely do think we should put a focus as a state on our own border and maintain it because at this point right now, things are shaky at best. We have our border... Uh, patrol announcing on in front of God and everybody that it's wide open. So I think that the only thing to do would be for our state government to step up and make the effort since the government is going to go on TV and put it out there that we're come on in. No questions asked. No effort needed. So we we owe it to ourselves as Texans to protect our state border against the neighbor to the south. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and and when you hear the the head of the Border Patrol say we've lost control, that's really, um, I I don't know how you argue at that point that that the state can't now step up. I mean, he's saying we can't do it. We're We're not getting it done. So he's not saying let us do it. We've got this. He's saying we've lost it. Right. The next step would be the state governments and their legislatures. Absolutely. That's the chain of command. And frankly, we need to start putting our state ahead of the federal government. I mean, that could be that could be said for many things, especially in our state legislature. When we look at mm-hmm. how many bills are for mm-hmm. federal issues yep. and then don't even get addressed. But meanwhile, we have 140 less than days to handle our own issues at the home front as well. Right, right. No, I think that's a great point. Very well said, Paul. Thank you. And I would actually put the onus not on not on the people proposing the agency or the enforcement or the new laws. I, I would ask Democrats in the legislature, please explain to us your opposition, your staunch, uh, fervent opposition to this, given that you always present yourselves as the champion of the little guy, the champion of of non-white Texans, right? You're the you're the you're, you're the party of of the non-white Texans. It is non-white Texans in their communities that are being ravaged 
by the out-of-control southern border. Okay? You're not serving those communities. You're not serving that constituency. I don't hear any difference anymore. I'm not talking 30 years ago. I don't hear any difference anymore when I hear my white Texas neighbors or my African-American or Hispanic Texas neighbors talk about immigration. Everybody knows it's a problem. Everybody knows the federal government has instituted an, at best, failed policy. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's failed on purpose, but that's, that's maybe a difference of opinion on that. But it's not, it's not working. Everyone realizes that the fear in these border communities is, is genuine. It's not, it's not some sort of xenophobia. You know, phobia means you have an irrational fear. Phobia means you're afraid of something that if you were being rational or logical, you wouldn't be afraid of. Like you're afraid of, you know, a color or something. These are, these are genuinely frightened, uh, genuinely threatened people in, in these border communities. And the idea, and, and not just the border, obviously, it, it extends well into the interior of the United States. Crime by illegal immigrants is, is happening all over the country. So wh- wh- how do you justify being opposed to just enforcing the border? You can make your arguments about affirmative action. You can make your arguments about all the other stuff you want to do, but people that are here. But wh- how do you justify not enforcing these laws if you're the party of the little guy? Because the little guy is, is, is taking it, you know, on the chin. Rich people can build walls and fences and live behind them and have security and move when they need to move and get away from it or, or be insulated from it. You say you're the party of the little guy. This is a little guy issue if ever there was one. Since we, you know, started podcasting the show, since we started making whole episodes of the show available as an on-demand podcast, and you can get it at KTSA.com, or you can find the Jack Riccardi Show in a lot of other places where you find podcasts, um, we've been thinking about the fact that when you listen away from our live show, not during 4 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, we want to be able to hear from you. We want you to be able to have a comment or have an opinion or push back on something I said or somebody else said. And so we came up with basically a listener comment line or a voicemail line that you can record yourself on, like you'd leave a voicemail for somebody, you know, like you're you're basically leaving me a voicemail to play back on the air at some future date. And we ask that you, when you call this number, you just give us your first name, your city or town, and your comment. Um, the number is 210 5550. So it's a little bit different from the number to call in during the show. That's 5555. This is 5550. And you'll be prompted just like you would be with voicemail. And you leave a, a, you know, name number. I'm sorry, not name, name city and brief comment, um, about any of the topics. And that way, if you missed the live show or you thought of something, about the first topic, and now we're on the fourth topic. You want to chime in on it? You can do that. And I hope you'll use it. Hope you'll feel free to use it anytime. 210 599 5550. And, um, I'm not guaranteeing we'll play them all back, but we definitely will play, uh, some of them back from time to time. So there's, um, uh, another update on, um, Senator John Fetterman. You remember this story, right? 
This man is running for the Senate last year as a Democrat, has a stroke during the primary campaign, wins his party's nomination, is basically very impaired and has to be kept largely out of sight during the general, wins the general in part because of a very strong get-out-of-the-vote effort, in part because of a very, I think, flawed Republican opponent. And so Pennsylvania elects themselves a senator who's not really healthy. But the assurance is he's, he's, he's getting better every day, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he gets into office. No sooner does he get into office in January, he's hospitalized, comes out, goes back in, this time for a much longer stay for severe depression. And his staff, if you don't know, have been pumping out little staged photos of him, quote-unquote, working, reviewing papers, meeting with his staff in the in his room at Walter Reed. I I get that. I, I get all that. It's not right, but there's a long tradition in American politics of hiding the health issues or compromised health of even presidents. It is beyond ridiculous that the media are participating in this. Manu Raju from CNN tweets, John Fetterman is making progress in his recovery from clinical depression and could leave Walter Reed within the next two weeks. The senator's physician recently informed him that he will be as good or better than his best days post-stroke. That is insulting. And it assumes that most Americans are either too stupid or too busy to pay attention. The man has clinical depression. It's not like you caught a cold and every day you feel a little better and you pop some meds. And when you're over the cold, you're as good as new, right? This is a lifelong struggle for John Fetterman. This will be a lifelong struggle of balancing medication and balancing his personal life and and balancing his sleep and his diet. The idea that he'll be as good as new soon is the worst kind of farce. I mean, talk about believe the science. That's not what the science of depression says at all. And the circumstance of his severe depression was the grueling campaign and then the schedule of serving in the Senate. So what you're saying is, we're going to ignore what made him this way, and we're going to get him back to that ASAP. Going back to what caused this is literally the worst, most cruel thing you could do. So if this was just a politician who was less healthy than we're being led to believe, or maybe the staff was covering up for a senator's, you know, age-related memory lapses. Or something. That, that might be one thing. But what's so crazy about this is that if he is suffering from severe clinical depression coupled with his other physical health problems, going right back into what brought him to this point is the worst thing he could do. And even if you say, well, I'm a cynic, Jack, this is how politics works, this is not how journalism is supposed to work. 
Manu Raju should be ashamed of himself. He should be embarrassed to show his face on television. I mean, just be honest, okay? Just look at this with a critical eye. Don't repeat verbatim what his staff is telling you. Did you never hear of Woodrow Wilson? Do you not know that story? And this is why the mainstream media are going down. Because you can't take them seriously on anything if they expect to be taken seriously on something like this. How are you supposed to believe anything they tell you? If they tell you today's Wednesday, how are you supposed to believe that? And I think there are enough people, I mean, I pray that you never experience severe depression, but I think there's enough people who have someone in their circle, a loved one, a family member, a friend, that we know this is not like, oh, you'll, you just, just need a little break, and then you'll be over it. I mean, I know people that have managed it and are managing it well, but they'll never be done with it. And they will be the first to tell you that. Get the results from the JR poll this half hour. We're talking a little football today. Uh, we were talking with Christian Blood earlier about the uh, this is this is a big day. Uh, this is sort of like closing time at the bar. NFL teams are trying to make their final decisions. They got to decide if they want to go home alone or or <laughs> or hook up with somebody in free agency. If you haven't heard, the Cowboys made a big move on Ezekiel Elliott. Um, what else? Uh, Baker Mayfield is in Tampa. The Jets are still working on getting Aaron Rodgers. We were just talking, Don and I were just talking off the air about uh, what that might mean. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, that Obviously, that will become, Don, I think that would become, if he, if he goes to the Jets, that will be the number one storyline of the new NFL season, right? I mean, of all the changes, of all the new Garoppolo in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. all the different things, that's going to be the, the number one thing people will watch. And it it either has to happen right away or it probably won't happen at all. Did you want to play this uh, Aaron Rodgers soundbite? Since we're talking yeah, about is, that? Uh, he's on the Pat McAfee show, and uh, this is where he makes all of his announcements. And he, um, he explains what's happening, what's taking so long between the Packers and the Jets. Cut number nine. I made it clear that my intention was to play, and my intention was to play for the New York Jets. Okay. Um, and... I haven't been holding anything up at this point. It's been compensation that the Packers are trying to get uh, for me and kind of digging their heels in. So I would just uh, <laughs> I think it is interesting at this point to step back and look at the whole picture. Um, you know, my side, love and appreciation, gratitude for everything that Green Bay has done for me. Love, so much love and gratitude and just heart open for the Packer fans yeah. and what it meant to be their quarterback. I don't know. I, I, I mean, the guy is great as a quarterback. I, I just, I don't know, because I keep thinking about how grateful the Green Bay fan base is to Aaron Rodgers and, and the tradition and, you know, coming in right after Brett Favre and that whole sort of relax, it's all going to be okay, baby. 
and now he's going he's really going from one extreme to the other because you know i'm from boston new york boston philadelphia those fans are crazy okay they're like green bay 100 miles an hour and he i i realize there may be legal reasons why he has to sound so non-committal right now <laughs> But once he's able to be committal, he better sound way more committal than he said. He mm. better sound like he can't wait to put on a Jets uniform. He can't wait to get out on that field. He can't wait to win in the postseason. These people don't just want to go to the postseason. If they get Aaron Rodgers, and if he brings all his parts and pieces that he says he wants, they want to go to the Super Bowl, these Jets fans. They haven't been in what? 55 years, mm-hmm. I think, something mm-hmm. like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is for all the chips, not just, oh, we'll have a better team this year. And it's not going to be like that. Yeah, when I was listening to that soundbite the first time, my, my thought that maybe he's being a little reserved for the Green Bay fans, but to me, if you're going to announce that you want to go to the Jets, then, yeah. then sound excited yeah. about it. Sound like, yeah. you, know, you know, tell the fans, because the New York Jet fans, they are hungry for something like this, right? You know now. what this? You know what? You know when this started? You remember? Remember the? I don't know how many years ago it was. Remember the? Remember the time LeBron James did that video, oh, where oh, oh, he yes, was? I'm yes. taking my talents to South Beach. Mm-hmm. Remember that video? Mm-hmm. It's it's an iconic sports video now, and I remember at the time, and we talked about it on the show at the time. It didn't sound like a sports announcement. It sounded like a like a business merger, or a. <laughs> Yeah, like an IPO. Right. It, it it had no. There was no verve. There was no swagger. It seemed like it get... all revolved around him, right? But it also it sounded very like. Yeah, well, I've made a uh, considered all the uh, options, and I've read through the prospectus, and uh, I don't know. I, I New York. I think I know New York sports fans, and uh, they want you to go in there and rip the other guy's head off. They don't want to hear that you're gratified by the interest. Uh, this is interesting. I don't know if you heard this or not today. Congressman Chip Roy uh, put out an email. This this was just this afternoon, in fact. Uh, he is endorsing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for president. Now, DeSantis isn't even an announced candidate. He's a presumed candidate. Usually, you announce, then people endorse you. Or you announce with the endorsement of X, Y, and Z, but... Um, in his uh, email, Roy said in part that Governor DeSantis is, quote, a man of conviction who loves freedom and the rule of law. The next president must be a vibrant and energetic leader with the faith, vision, and courage to chart a new course. Um, America needs a leader who will truly defend her and empower the people against the destructive force of unrestrained government, corporate excess, uh, profligate spending, and woke Cultural indoctrination, says Chip Roy. So he is endorsing Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump is in the news today. He is going to release a book of letters. Have you heard this? This is this is the most Trumpian thing you've heard in a long time. This is the Trumpiest Trump has been in a long time. He's going to release a book of letters according to Newsweek, from celebrities, personal letters, people that wrote to him over the years. Because he thinks it's funny how many of these very famous people 
were so effusive in praising him or sucking up to him and complimenting him before he became, you know, worse than Hitler. So all these people are now saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I didn't give him permission to use this letter in a book, or I didn't give permission for this letter to be released publicly. You know what it reminds me of? It feels a little bit like the Epstein files. All these celebrities are nervous that they might be on Epstein's list or in Epstein's little black book, right? Well, now there's all these people, Jay Leno, Hillary Clinton, and many others, Oprah Winfrey, as well as people that are no longer alive, Michael Jackson, Princess Diana, who apparently wrote effusive letters to Trump, thanking him for something he did, uh, telling him they enjoyed his company, praising his business acumen. It includes apparently a number of establishment Republicans who um, are now, of course, uh, never Trumpers. Axios says that in the letter Oprah Winfrey wrote to him, imagine this, this was in 2000, Trump had written a book called The America We Deserve where he talked about running for president and said if he ran for president, his first choice for VP would be Oprah Winfrey. She wrote in the letter, too bad we're not running for office. What a team we would be. So Trump is torturing these celebrities with the prospect of a book that you'll be able to read the, what they really said to him, what they wrote in a letter. And you know, the only thing better than putting this book out would be if he never actually puts it out. Imagine if he gets them all to like self-confess and he never actually has to do the book. Because they all know who they are. The names are being named and they're going to know if they've sent this letter. These are these are personal letters. This is like you got a form letter. You know. Uh, Richard Nixon. Princess Diana. Um, Kim Jong-un. Uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. Clint Eastwood. Shaquille O'Neal. Oprah Winfrey. Many others, according to Newsweek, uh, would be included. Their letters would be included in this book. I think this is hilarious. I, just, I can't help it. I just can't. I, I, you know what? Um, I have had a front row seat for many, many years for how phony politicians and public figures are. How many times, Don, you know what I'm talking about. How many times would we have people in the studio and they'd be yelling and arguing and fighting and ripping each other's face off. And they'd be, whether we were a gang of four or a political debate, or they, on the air, they were at each other's throats. And then the show ends or the hour ends. And they're giving each other their business cards and let's have lunch. And we got to golf sometime. And I want to take you out and phony baloney. And I would just sit there like, what? Which is the real person? Which one of these is the real person? Same thing here. The truth is, with Trump, it's very obvious, and you know this. You don't need me to tell you, but I'll say it anyway. 
The truth is a lot of people loved him. A lot of people admired him. Or they just wanted an invitation to Mar-a-Lago, or they wanted a favor, or they wanted to get to the golf course, or they wanted whatever he could do for them, maybe money. And they don't want to be reminded of it now. They've reinvented themselves now. They've, they've, and they want to do what Joe Biden is doing. They want to say, I never liked him. I was never in favor of him. He's always been worse than Hitler. No, he hasn't. He only became worse than Hitler when he beat Hillary in 2016. And if he hadn't beaten Hillary in 2016, he wouldn't be worse than Hitler. Because the only thing they like more than a Democrat is a defeated Republican. Do you favor Texas forming its own border police unit or an immigration uh, enforcement unit? 98% said yes. 2% said no. New JR poll question tomorrow at 4 or find it anytime at KTSA.com. So just in case you're not observing Lent, it's the season of Lent and Part of Lenten observances sometimes means, for example, for Catholics, abstaining from meat on Fridays. We don't eat meat on Fridays. Well, St. Patrick's Day falls on a Friday. And this is the dilemma for Irish Catholics. Because on St. Patrick's Day, they like to have their corned beef and cabbage. What are they supposed to do on Friday? Cardinal Archbishop of New York, Timothy Dolan, has decreed special dispensation to have corned beef and cabbage on this Friday. The Archdiocese announcing there are sometimes circumstances that make it possible to obtain a dispensation. And so, much to the relief of Irish pubs and bars and restaurants and corned beef fans. I've never been a big fan of corned beef. I... That just doesn't, I, I, I love the Irish, but you can have my corned beef and cabbage, okay? But you can have it on Friday, according to uh, Cardinal Dolan. And, of course, Easter's coming up. And um, big tradition at the White House is the Easter egg roll, right? The Easter egg roll. In fact, tomorrow they open a lottery for people that want to attend, want to be on the White House lawn for that event. Get this. PETA is saying to the White House, you should not use real chicken eggs for the Easter egg hunt. The animal rights organization appealing to First Lady Jill Biden to discontinue using real chicken eggs this year and instead use painted stones. I can't make up stuff like this. You can't make it up. Painted stones. Peter saying in part, um, these chickens spend their entire lives pressed against other birds in severely crowded cages that reek of feces and ammonia. That sounds like flying in coach these days. Uh, these chickens suffer just as other animals would. And in their letter, they also noted the high cost of eggs and the possibility of a worldwide avian flu as reasons to make a symbolic change from real eggs to painted stones. I mean, the price of eggs is crazy. I know avian flu is a real thing. Um, 
I, I guess it's more environmentally friendly to have the painted stones or the plastic eggs or whatever. I think there are times, though, that it is okay to say, and I know this is not what you're used to, I think there are times that it's okay to say, you know what, we have a tradition here. There's a reason it's been a tradition. We're going to keep the tradition. I know a lot of people do the plastic eggs with little candies or prizes inside or whatever. But boy, I would just love, for once, I would just love to see somebody go, you know what, we like this tradition, we're keeping this tradition. Real eggs. Taxpayers are paying for it anyway, so what do we care? Anyway, see you back here live at 4 tomorrow or find our show anytime on demand, the Jack Riccardi Show at KTSA.com.